Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are joined by Thor Nystrom to recap the NFL draft this past weekend. We obviously get deep into the weeds with Mac Jones and discuss all the other Patriots picks and what they mean for the future of the team. It's a heck of a show, so buckle up and cue the music. receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Monday night after the draft, we are here with Thor Nystrom talking the draft. Of course, draft grades. This is what it's all about, man. We've been waiting months for this. It finally happened. And so now we have to recap with one of the best in the business. Thor, we appreciate you coming on. It's going to be a little more cordial than it was last year, I think. Uh, you get, <laughs> like the Patriots draft a heck, of a, a heck of a lot better this time around than you did last time. Uh, Absolutely. But, uh, Good thanks to be for coming here, on. And uh, must have been a, a crazy draft, draft weekend for you, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just still, like, catching my my head on it and like this year for NBC they had us doing this thing where it was like live reactions like after the picks and like you know you think like going in like oh that'll be fine you know like you know you know most of the guys that are gonna go and you know yep. whatnot but like even though I expected the Trey Lance like I saw the Trey Lance thing coming I, I could have won I, a lot of money if I listened to you five weeks before <laughs> yeah like I had to do the live reaction after that thing and I like I was still mind blown because it was like mind blown of like oh my god like those two guys did this like they did the greatest smoke screen in NFL draft history you know like anyway a lot, lot was going on and a crazy draft weekend you know like a, yeah. a really really interesting and compelling draft I thought overall I agree let's talk about that I want to start with that San Francisco thing first of all i you know, however you feel about Lance, what do you think about the trade up? Number one, but number two, what was with the smokescreen? Like, why? I guess would be the question I have. Yeah, so I, I think there's only one theory that makes sense. So I just, I just take it as fact. It is like what what I think happened is, um, you know, they make the decision to trade up. They love Lance, and I think that some sharp. I mean, those guys in particular, but I, you know, we don't know of the other sharp teams that were in on Lance. I'm guessing the sharp teams in the NFL were the ones that were in on him and they just weren't talking about it to the media. You know, it was like, you know, we, cause you know, I think San Francisco, um, I think Lance was above Wilson on their board. And, and I think it was, 
we're moving up our old, you know, defensive coordinator Sala's, you know, over there, whatever. And they didn't want Sala going to Joe Douglas and being like the smartest offensive dude I ever worked with my entire life. And then John Lynch was a pretty sharp dude himself. They just mortgaged the entire, you know, future of their franchise and they're putting both of their names on the line at this point, you know, where it, it will be a lifetime of embarrassment for them. If, if Trey Lance is a bust. Do you think we should take a look at those two guys one more time? Maybe right. think about this one more time. That's what I think it was. I think the smokescreen specifically was for the Jets, obviously, because we knew who was going to be the, you know, the first pick or whatever. I, I think that the, the 49ers wanted Lance to get to them. I, I think he was their dude. Makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. I mean, when you when you put it that way, like it's not for the people after them, it's people before them. I guess exactly. Yeah, because anyone after them, it doesn't matter. And once the Jets had made the darn old trade, that was locked in. They were taking the quarterback and we basically all knew who that was. There wasn't even a process. You you guys will recall this during the pre-draft process where there was like with the Jets, it was always like it's going to be Wilson. You know, it it wasn't like, oh, you know, they could go this way or they could go that way. It was like they were just sort of locked in on him. And I think a part of it, like, you know, for fans out there and everything, like Zach Wilson was an easy pick on Thursday night. That was an easy pick. You're going to get celebrated here for the next couple months, you know, whatever. Trey Lance, that's a harder pick, right? right? And then, of course, you're, you know, the, the, you know, the trade equity and stuff like that that they put in. But like if the Jets had taken Trey Lance at two, you are facing a lot of second guessing in the immediate aftermath. Um, you know, is is that something that would, you know, dissuade you from thinking further about what seems to be an obvious decision to you on the surface? I don't know, but it, it seems like the Jets were zeroed in that way. And I, again, I, I think the reason for the smoke screen was the 49ers wanted to keep it that way. So, so let's get into your, your draft rankings here. Cause I know we take a look at them every year. You do a great job with that. Uh, get into the Patriots right away. A uh, lot, lot higher on them this year than last year. I think yeah. we talked um, before we went live. You, you'd given them a C, I think, or around there for last year. Obviously, we had said you know a lot of them panned out uh, on Wenu, Duggar, Uche, uh, but this year gave him a B plus. Right? Uh, what was kind of your thought process process into that? What was you know your reasoning for giving him such a high grade? Was it the Mac Jones pick? Obviously, the Barmore pick. A lot of people had a top twenty, top twenty five grade on him they move up and get him at 38. Was it just the value that they were able to get those players at? Pretty much. Yeah. You know, and like I was writing my column, I, I was shocked that the team that I, that took Mac Jones, I gave them a B plus. I never would have seen that coming. I spent the last two months before draft night, you know, having to sort of correct these Mac Jones false narratives that were no fault of Mac Jones's, but you know, to, for the media to sort of support the smokes, you know, like th- that, that idea as reality, to, you know, to prop up the, these false reports or whatever, they had to turn Mac Jones into something that he was not a top three prospect overall in the draft. He was never that. He wasn't that to San Francisco. He is not that in reality. He's, he's not that, but you know, to me, he's, you know, I, I rated him 25 overall. Right. Like, you know, to me, he's a slightly better version of Andy Dalton coming out of TCU. Now, New England fans might not like to hear that. Andy Dalton started for a long time, you know, in the NFL. He's had he's had success. He had a long career, whatever. That's the reason, I, you know, that he went there or whatever. But where New England got him, that is not bad value. You know, like, you know, again, I, I, you know, I rate him 25. They took him 15. You pay a premium for the quarterback position when you don't have a quarterback, you know, or, 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 you know, a a guy that you can, you know, guarantee Cam Newton. You know, we'll see. But, you know, in their position, you pay that premium. So I didn't have any problem with that. And then you mentioned it. The Barmore pick was one of the steals of the second round. If not, if, if Owusu Koromoa had not made it to the second round, it would be the steal of the second round. But it's, it was highway larceny anyway. And 
I was talking to a friend about this earlier today on the phone where I had done so many mock draft iterations, you know, before the draft, you know, like on my own. And then I was on a bunch of these like live mocks and like whatever. And so you start to like, you know, at least get an idea of, you know, how you think guys could fall or, you know, like they're sort of bands or whatever. And Christian Barmore invariably almost always went to Cleveland at 25, whether in the mocks I did or, you know, with with other folks, whatever. He would fall down there, but they would always end up taking him. Cleveland, I don't think they expected one of those top four cornerbacks to be on the board there. And I, I think if, if, you know, if, if Newsom had not been there, I think there is a solid shot that Cleveland takes Christian Barmore 25 overall. They don't, you know, Newsom ends up being there. Um, and then it caused, you know, a little, you know, down the board, it caught, you know, I mean, then the Packers, instead of taking, you know, Newsom in that case, they end up going Stokes and then things just went against Christian Barmore. The, the reason Christian Barmore fell to 38, it has nothing to do with Christian Barmore. That's, you know, th- in this case, it was circumstantial. Again, I, I think he goes 13 spots above where he went if, if Newsom was off the board before 25. And then you just go down the board, Ronnie Perkins. By any account, that that is a great value at 96. Ramondre Stevenson, I love that kid. I absolutely love that kid. And, and the fact that he went right around where I had him ranked, because I was I was sky high in Ramondre the whole time. The fact that he went right around where, where I had him ranked, but specifically to the Patriots, that I was really, really interested by that. I you know, as far as a mid-round pick that's gonna make an impact, I I was in love with that pick. Yeah. I think they did a great job overall, you know. Yeah, and just going back to the Barmore pick, you know, a little bit, they had to move up to get him, obviously, because he did fall and they, they didn't really expect him to fall so much. So, yeah, my, my question really is about the grades and how, how do those trades factor into your grades, whether somebody has to move up or move back to get their guy and specifically Barmore in the Patriots grade. Yeah. So if there's a criticism of my, my stuff, it's like, it's, it's almost too analytical as far as like coming right after the draft. And it's also, you know, just sort of based on my opinion, you know, where I had the kid ranked, you know, in advance or whatever, right. but in, 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 you know, in, in, in cases of like the trades, you know, it becomes like, who did you get in the slot that you traded up for? How much excess draft equity did you give up? Christian Barmore to, to, again, to me, top 20 prospect, I ranked him number 20 overall. So the juice is going to be worth a squeeze on almost any trade up to 38 to get him. Because again, for me, he's, you are getting a it's not just the idea of a steal it's that you're literally to me getting a top 20 prospect and so like you know it just in a vacuum you pay up for that but like I mean like that you know the trade they made up to get him I thought was very smart because you're getting back a better prospect than you know then you're giving up equity even though if if on the trade chart it seems like you're giving up a little bit more in the moment yeah we knew too they would use those four they had three fourth round picks within you know 17 slots or whatever it was you knew they were going to go into day two you know, specifically and use that to kind of close the gap between we thought 46 and 96, they end up moving up to do it. And then having that big gap, which they're, they're really never, you know, they never do. And they, they made one trade, which was crazy to me. They're usually, you know, moving up and down the board, trying to, you know, have a good solid pick every, you know, 30 to 35 slots. They stood. um, And I think too, with the Perkins pick, you noted, I know I'm all over the place here, but uh, that was a lot of people had him as a top 60 player. And then obviously he fell for, you know, whatever reason, and they get a premier edge talent at 96. I think that's a guy who can come in and contribute a uh, high motor player that can come in and contribute day one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And both, both those guys were sort of de- devalued for, I mean, in, in some ways, different reasons, but then also in the exact same reason, right? Like they were both concurrently suspended at Oklahoma. You know, I, I, uh, um, I specifically with Ramondre, cause I had a real conviction about that kid having watched him down the stretch, 
um, you know, and then going into the game against Florida where he, you know, was going nuclear, but it was, it was basically week after week. And another interesting thing with Oklahoma that, that I noted now, this is, it's not specific to Ramondre necessarily, but I, I think it speaks to his value is that early on in the season, Spencer Rattler, who, if you look around the industry right now, you'll note that he is, you know, the, either the first pick or, you know, one of the top five picks in these two early mock drafts at the beginning of last year. The, the recruiting he was not playing up to his recruiting hype he was playing okay but like I, I watched him in a couple of games and I was like you know he's gonna take longer than people thought right because he was like the first Lincoln Riley hand-picked quarterback that was like gonna start for you know the, the Sooners it had just been the the grad transfers up to then you know Baker and and Kyler and then and then Jalen Hurts well Ramondre Stevenson was suspended for the first what was it three it was like three or four games and when the second that Ramondre Stevenson came back into the lineup not only did their rushing game get a ton better, but if you will note, Spencer Rattler's uh, performance went up precipitously, where it was like week after week, he was getting better and better and better. And by the end of the season, they they just went, they just dropped bombs on Florida. Like that, that was one of, the, am I allowed to swear on this podcast or no? Yes. That was yeah. one of the ass kickings of, of, of bowl season. I mean, just drive after drive after drive. And then Kyle Trask, my God, like I, Talk about a guy. I'm surprised he went in the, the second round. Well, you know, once he didn't have Pitts and Toady and, and, and Grimes did that game, it was like, you know, the, you know, he wasn't wearing his cape anymore. He didn't have the pixie dust, you know, right. and he, he just got eaten alive. But a uh, great pick on, you know, for, for, for both of those guys to finish up the point on Stevenson, I looked into his suspension, you know, and it was like he had a failed marijuana test, which I, I talked a little bit about this in the scouting report, but since, you know, we're on a new England podcast, you know, I, I might as well expound on it. The, his Juco coach, he was a, a Juco for a couple of years. His Juco coach said, this is one of the finest individuals that I've ever had in my program. Like, you know, period. And he, and they asked him about the suspension at Oklahoma and, and the Juco coach said something I thought was really interesting. He said, Ramondre Steven, I had zero problems with Ron, Ramondre Stevenson and, you know, in two years, you know, was that an absolute joy to watch. And he goes, Ramondre Stevenson did not fail a drug test, you know, under me or whatever. And he's like, the kid made one mistake and he's, you know, he was super contrite about it and, you know, everything like that. He like, he felt shame about it. Um, and, and to me, like, um, you know, n- not only that, n- not only do you have the context that the kid's not a problem child or anything, that marijuana is not even going to be tested for within the next three or four years here. Right. You know, like I- issues like this or Josh Gordon, obviously being a far, far greater example of this, because, again, Ramondre Stevens, it was one marijuana test his entire career. And he, he ended up losing like four five games, you know, in a crucial part of his career. He got penalized heavily for, for that one test or whatever. But like, you know, issues like that, they're not going to be an issue, you know, going forward. It's. Um, right. It's ridiculous societally and for the league. We, we don't need to get into all that. But as far as that goes, um, the people in his past rave about the kid. And he's a very talented runner. He's, he's one of those kids that you like where he's the bruiser who moves very fluidly f- through space and has awesome feet. Like, it, it's not just that he can run people over. It's that, like, once you're leading up to the collision point. Contact balance. It's, that too, that too. But like, once you're coming in, he can screw with your angles, you know, just like in that slightest way. But it's like, you know, with a pitcher with a curveball, you know, where it just cuts extra, you know, whatever. If mm-hmm. the bat doesn't get it flush, all of a sudden, instead of a home, you know, whatever, you, you have a pop out or whatever. Ramondre Stevenson, he's got the power, but he also has those feet to, to, to set it up. And you mentioned the contact balance, which manifests once he has, you know, you instead of hit, hitting him flush, you hit him off target, he's going to stay up and keep moving forward. I, I really like that kid. Yeah, I like it. So uh, now those those guys, it's funny because Stevenson's a guy that I wasn't, I didn't really do any work on him. And then we went into, Keegan and I went into our uh, 
our instant because we do an instant reaction podcast for every for every pick Patriots pick of course and uh and I was like oh I'm not really sure and he's like oh I got this don't worry about it so he Keegan does the work on it but uh, but and so McGrone we had we had talked you know about McGrone before the draft and, and you know and mock draft shows and stuff but we really hadn't talked about their last three picks so I just want you to kind of shed some light on on them so Josh Bloodsoe uh, which Josh, the, the extra H throws me off, but whatever, you know. Uh, so Josh Bledsoe, huge. If you haven't seen him, he's huge. Yes. Massive. So Josh Bledsoe, Will Sherman, and then Trey Nixon, the, the final pick. The which, Ernie by Adams the way, pick. Trey Nixon, the Ernie Adams. I don't know if you saw the video. Ernie Adams. It was, it was Ernie Adams. Hand selected him uh, as oh, really? his last his last pick. Yep. His last um, pick ever. Yeah. His no, last he picked David Givens. He picked yeah. David Givens. So yep. he was a seventh rounder. So hopefully this guy. Right. Out. Yep. Wow. Okay. I no, I didn't know that. That's that's actually super interesting. Okay. Did did he explain like why it was he, like he, Trey Nixon? He didn't explain just... why it was Trey Nixon, but Bill, you know, Bill in the draft room gave this whole speech about you know Ernie's been you know forty years and blah 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 whole thing. Wrote the book on scouting and you know and we're gonna we're gonna let him make the final pick. He um, was quick with it. He, he was very Bill quick. Said, was he? Yeah. yeah. Bill said we're gonna we're gonna give Ernie the final pick, and he said, all right, uh, Trey Nixon, wide receiver out of UCF. It took about three seconds. <laughs> that's. Yep. That's really interesting. Interesting. Yeah, th- that UCF team had multiple receivers that, you know, like the the kid that I was super low and I, I he didn't get drafted. I don't know if he signed with anyone, but like the kid that put up stats is that was it Marlon Williams is the name. Like yeah. and he, he was just like an older, you know, receiver that they just threw like the short passes to or whatever. And then he would just like bowl over people, which clearly wasn't. You, know, you couldn't project it, but like between Nixon and then that Harris kid that started to come on late, you know, he's the kid who's like. Six five two fifteen two twenty. Yeah, he like, went to Carolina. No, that's he's not right. that kid's really interesting too. Like, yeah. yeah, I after watching Marlon Williams, who initially, like, you got you know, you realize back in like November, you, you know, you I watch a lot of college football because I have to watch it from the time it starts basically till when when it ends for my job every single week or whatever. Uh, and like you start to see, like with with UCF, I hadn't gotten assigned to their games, but like Williams, the the stats were like such that I had to look into him a little bit, and it was just like, eh. But then the other kids, Nixon being one of them, but that Harris, it's like who are, who are these guys? You know, it's like that was. That was more of the interesting thing. As far as blood, so we can just sort of start at the top. As far as blood, so goes. I wasn't as big of a fan of his game. I, I think I ended up uh, rating him as undrafted. Uh, you know, maybe right outside or whatever. Um, you know, so, sort of right on that line. Uh, Two twenty-two overall. So, so no, I, I guess I would have rated him as a seventh rounder. Um, you know, like he's he's a musk. You guys mentioned it. Like he's a well-built um, sort of you know uh, muscular type type dude or whatever. Um, you know, but like for, for me, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I put him lower cause I, I don't trust him a hundred percent. Like, but you know, he played a couple different roles at, at, at Missouri, you know, between like the, the safety thing. And then they would move him into the slot as a slot defender. And he's one of those guys that like, you know, I think some people saw him as, you know, sort of like a, how would you call it? Like a chess piece on the, the, you know, like in the bargain bin, like, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. I, I guess for me, I, I wonder what is the one thing that Joshua Bledsoe does good enough to stay on the field long term, you know? And so th- that was my concern where like you see a couple of these different, you know, like, um, you know, in, ter- in terms of, you know, the willingness to come up and defend against the run and, and, and you know, the ability to come up and, and guard the big slot or whatever. Like you see some of these different things, but it's like, is he better at any of those things than 
you know, comparable prospects, you know, at, at the safety position or whatever. And so that's why for me, he fell. But again, there's other people in my industry that saw him as on the other side of that, where it's like, not only did they think, you know, maybe, you know, he, th that they thought he could do both. So it's like New England has a good track record with those kind of players. So like, again, I, I, I was lower on them, but when New England took a, a bit higher, like specifically with them, it's like, it, it was the opposite of my Ramondre Stevenson thing where I was like, right. I was like pumped to pat, pat myself on the back with Bledsoe. I was like, oh man, I might have been wrong about Bledsoe. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and then so just, I, I, you want, you, go, want, you want me to go down or do you guys want you to talk about Yeah. That? I was going to say McGrone. Cause that was a guy, me and Keegan, um, we kind of pinned on him on our big board. That was one of the two we hit, I believe. Um, yep. We kind of had, we did have, you, got, you guys got that in your, in your mind. We had McGrone. Yeah. We had him oh, as a fifth nice. rounder. Yeah. So we, we, we pinned him just to, you know, obviously coming off the ACL uh, Belichick kind of talked about in his press conference after it's more of a 2022 pick. They're going to rehab him. And I, I don't think he'll, he would see the field either way uh, unless, you know, they, they had the depth that they had last year, but um, you know, physical downhill linebacker can play in the middle. Um, I, I wanted him in that fifth round. Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good pick for them. Uh, yeah. And, and you guys hit on it. it it's, it's, you know, the, the only issue that I have with, with McGrone is I was surprised he went into the draft, right? Like, you know, he easily could have gone back to Michigan and then seen how the rehab went and, you know, like, and then just seeing where it gone after that. Um, to me, he is, um, th this is an opportunity essentially to shop on a discount for a kid that if he had gone back and, you know, shown it on the other side and then improve some of the things with like coverage and stuff. Cause that was my big issue with him. But like, again, like some of these prospects, you know, Kadarius Tony or like some of these other guys, they're like old, right? Like they've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to show some of these different things with McGrone. He's a young kid. And what I like about him is, mostly is the explosion thing like for you know to either side it's like the quick trigger and he's gone and then you know the, the push off is very fast and so like you know it's like boom 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 and, and he's there right like and so, so against the run I, I i like the kid a lot you know assuming you know that everything um there you know as far as like coming back like everything like that you know goes well it, it's just for me it was the coverage thing and and that's something where a guy like that you see linebackers like this every single year where like initially they're good against you know they're at one thing two things and then you know as they're career goes on they keep working at their deficiency and then they'll sort of break through some of them you know some of them never do or whatever but like I, I feel like McGrone like some of these different things he would have continued to improve and he he McGrone personally his decision it almost seems selling low on himself you know you know whereas not to, to, to come back or whatever um, but I, I think that was only to New England's uh, benefit here I, I, I don't know any argument that you could make that where they picked him um, the the upside, you know, the you know, where the juice is worth the squeeze. Yes, the, there's a bit more risk there, you know, just because of the, you know, the injury stuff recently and, and, and his age thing. And then the fact that who knows, maybe he'll never be able to be playable on coverage, which would obviously be be a thing. But just because of how young he is and the limited exposure and everything and the flashes that we saw when he was on the field and the fact that I know at the end, you know, obviously he did this in college, but at the NFL level, he's going to be very good at this, too, because it seems like he was born to do it. It's, it's, it's read where. The, the movement initially trigger fast and he's getting there really, really quick by, by pushing up. If, if he gets better in coverage, th that's where that pick could start to look like a steal. I want to get into, cause the, everyone wants to talk about it where we get through the draft. The one pick everyone is so they either love it. They hate it. They're somewhere in the middle or, or happy. I guess that they address the position in, in terms of their future. Mac Jones. I want to get your thoughts on him. Um, you know, it, it's something we talk about all the time. Like it was, it was one of those, players that 
every year, you know, there's a receiver or a quarterback or just, you know, maybe a few players that are just your prototypical Patriots, someone that would just fit here. It's almost too good to be true that they land here. And one of them was, you know, we pinned Amari Rogers as one. Um, and then obviously Mac Jones, a lot of people had him, you know, going three. So people kind of eased off on it with, uh, him going to the Patriots, but obviously the, the Trey Lance goes three and he, he pops up on their board. He seems like a quarterback that just fits exactly what they want, right? Wins pre-snap, very good in the pocket, gets the ball out on time, anticipation throws, very good with his ball placement. Um, overall your thoughts on him, how he fits here. And when do you think he would be ready to play? Um, cause I'm sure th- there is some mixed reviews here. Uh, I know for me, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I speak for Keegan and Pat, we're kind of in that boat where you're spending a, you know, this is a five-year investment on him. Take your time. You have a quarterback here that now you have that bridge guy in Cam. How good is he going to be? That's yet to be seen, but take your time with Mac. Yeah. So um, I want to, I want to tell you guys this story before I, I, I get to that, which is I, I play a lot of NCAA football online. Um, you know, yeah, the, we know, you know, we know. Yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> so there was one dude in one of my dynasties who he wasn't great on the sticks, you know, like it wasn't like, you know, you'd miss him cause he was like really good at that. And it didn't seem like he was any sharper or any better at defense than me. And I just could not beat this guy no matter what. And I couldn't figure it out. And so I, I asked one of my buddies, you know, at one point that played in these dynasties, I was like, what does that guy do? Well, like, why can I never figure out why is he always one step ahead of me? And and the guy said, next time you play him, notice what he does before the play. And so I the next time I played him, sure enough, you know, I'm 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 watching out for what happens pre-snap. The guy motioned. He he motioned, which is something that I don't do. Um, and the information that he got just by doing some of these different motion things, whether I was in zone, whether I was in man, where where my safeties were, am I in double high, am I in single high? He was able to destroy me merely because of that um your point is so well taken about the guy that like is super sharp before the snap i i think that's a very underrated uh skill you know and and, and obviously you know brady and, and the patriots have exploited that for for years it is a thing right like you know the, the guy who's able to play chess before and, the and snap not to cut you like sure. i feel like that's overlooked with when when evaluating quarterbacks yes. and like where they came from the amount of adversity that they went in i mean mac jones's stories you know obviously joe borrow's joe borrow but it's right on par with that with what he went through at alabama uh, the amount of learning and, and developing that he took. That's why, like, I feel like people overlook that when evaluating quarterbacks. Yes, that, yes, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, but, you know, t- to overcome, to, to mitigate some of these, um, you know, physical, de- like, you know, as far as the top five quarterbacks, obviously, you know, he's got the weakest arm of the five, the least athletic of the five, but he manages to play above that. The, the thing about seeing the field, knowing, you know, the defensive movement with the shift, what, what coverage are they in, et cetera. Steve Sarkeesian loves that kid for a reason. It's not because he's got the bazooka. It's not because he's, you know, he's a, as athletic as Trey Lance or whatever. It's because he understands all the people pieces before the snap he's calling it out to his receivers all right you're coming this way he, he knows where the um he, it, it, you know it's it's like a pool shark that knows where the odds are going to be in his favor before the snap and then he can just sort of see it as it comes is he going to beat you 60 yards down the field on the flight no he, he he's not going to do that but is he going to beat you a lot of times before the snap we're like you know like with stuff you know steal your money like that yes and the other thing is 
two other things that I like about him a lot. It's not just the running the system, which, which by the way, is a pejorative thing. With him, what I'm meaning to insinuate to you is it goes above that. It's not just that he's the Manchurian candidate who's being told things by Sarkeesian, you do this, you do that. What I'm suggesting to you is it's not a robotic thing with him. It is a proactive thing where he actually is seeing different things before the snap where it's like, you know, like the Terminator and it's, it's like through his vision. It's like the odds, you know, this thing here, if that guy moves there, you, you know, sort of a thing. These things allow him to mitigate, um, you know, some of the, you know, lesser things as far as arm strength and, 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 and the athleticism goes. The other two things I wanted to point out about him that I think are very important is he was the class's most accurate quarterback between zero and 10 yards. So like, you know, again, like I, I'm, I'm less concerned about him down the field, but like, you know, th- that other thing in conjunction with the fact that he does not miss with his placement or his accuracy within 10 yards, very important. The other thing that I really like about him is you see with one way that I can spot bust potential quarterbacks or guys that I, that, that I think could be bust is their, their play craters against either better competition, number one, or yeah. in the face of pressure. And usually with those guys, <clears throat> Drew Locke, <clears throat> you see it in both. Their splits, if you look at it the other way, they plummet. Uh, Mac Jones not only played just as well against good competition, but also in the face of pressure, he had less of a drop off than any of those top five quarterbacks. So I don't, I don't think there's any risk, you know, as as far as like a bust here. You know, again, like he's gonna play for a long time. Do, do I question whether he'll be a top five quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, but do I like? I don't think there's any shot he's gonna be worse than the you know twenty fifth to thirtieth sort of a thing. You know what I mean? Right. No, it's it's. That's a great point. Go ahead, Keegan. You're selling us. I mean, all the things that you mentioned, like the, the the short accuracy, I mean, all they have is tight ends and running backs on the roster. So yeah. that's great for them, you know? Yeah. And um, one, one of the things I want to talk about on him is just the long-term projection on how long it's going to take to get him where he needs to be to really lead this team, you know, to be a contender because he had four years at Alabama to learn the system and, and learn everything he needed to, to learn. Can he do that in one year behind Newton? Or do you think that it might take a little bit longer? I think it's nice that you have Newton because it gives you, it gives you uh how would you say, uh, um, you know, not security blanket, but like, uh, you know, you're walking the tightrope and, and you have the, you know, whatever underneath yeah. you or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, like for for me, I you know, if if I'm the Patriots, like I hope that Matt goes in and outplays Cam. And for me, he's going to have to like, even if it's just by a bit, but it's going to have to be objectively outplayed. I would love to start him in Week One, but like, is you know, if he doesn't, great, we'll start Cam, right? Like, you know, th- there's no problem there whatsoever. Like, we can wait until Cam or t- until Mac is is outplaying him in practice, and then you know, and 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 then we can do it, like. Um, but, but as far as like, for me, like, I, I think he is, uh, he's NFL ready now in that the things he is like the best at, they're already there. They're already, you know, plus NFL level. I mean, like last year he was playing for what is an NFL staff. In fact, if Alabama staff last year had been in the NFL, they would have been one of the NFL's best staffs. So you got Yoda and, and Saban and then Sarkeesian's one of the great play callers for me in modern college football history. This is a guy who drank himself out of college football and is now the, the head coach of Texas just because of how, how good he is at, at that but again like when it's it's often mentioned with with mac jones is a pejorative right like you have this awesome supporting cast you you know you have the awesome whatever um but what is underrated about it is he again sees all this stuff beforehand right like again there's a reason that sarkeesian loves him way more than some of these other guys he's worked with because it's not just the thing of like you do what i say it's he sees all these things as they're happening the, the fluid things and again can call it out in the moment when the you know when the, the game clock is down to six seconds or you're gonna come here you're gonna come here he sees what the coverage is. Okay, the, if the safety goes that way, I got a one-on-one look over there. Or if, if he does this, there's going to be an open guy in the flat.
that. Mac Jones is was quicker at that stuff than any of the quarterbacks in this class. And I think that's why, like, when people compared him to, to Fields, that's where the, in the comparison where Fields suffered, right? Because he Fields is, is much better when the snap starts. But again, Jones's ability before then to see all this different stuff and stuff like that, like it, it, it has an effect of leveling his game up. And to your point about like his fit with the Patriots for that reason, it's perfect, right? Like, and, and Brady did this, you know, the best of anybody, but like, as far as someone that you, you've, you've already seen and do it, um, Mac Jones is that guy. He was there for four years at Alabama, like you mentioned. And, and to your point about the adversity thing, I, you know, I, I wanted to touch on that really quickly too. When Mac, so Mac Jones before, when he came out of high school, he committed to Kentucky, which I like at the time I was like, this is so dumb. Like th- this kid's going to Kentucky. Like, you know, he was like, a, he, he wasn't, you know, a, a three star. Yeah, he wasn't a top guy, but like, you know, he was, um, you know, and I think he got up to four there at the end. Like, I think he was like a top, you know, fringe of the, you know, the I top. I think two. after he decode that he was a four, but when he committed to Kentucky, he was a three or something like that. Decision making, it bumps him up a star getting out of yeah. <laughs> well, but, but you know, but if so, like he was a high, high, you know, three star, like he, you know, right, right. on that line or whatever. Um, the, the Kentucky, it was offensive court, it wasn't the head coach, but it was one of their assistants was so furious when Mac Jones decommitted to go to Alabama that he wrote out a tweet. Like it was one of the funniest things I've seen on a, on a signing day or whatever. But Mac Jones, like I thought he was doing a really stupid thing because not only did they have the quarterbacks there, he signed in the same class as Tua, and it's like, you know, what, what do you think you're going to do? Go in there and, you know, and like, like it was, it was crazy to me. Um, but n- you know, not only did he go there to work, like, you know, I'm not like he had the self-awareness to realize, like, I'm not where I want to be to go to the pros, which was like the ultimate goal. And he's like, if I can compete against the best and learn from the best, like I might get there by the end. And he ended up starting, you know, at the end of that junior year when Tua got hurt or whatever. And then this was the season when they, you know, when he, when he really jumped up, improved every single year, clearly the coaches will tell you that, you know, in practice, everything like that. So I, there's one thing I wanted to talk about, and is I love I love what you're saying about Mac. I, you are selling us on this, and, and Mike McDermott here says, you know, Jones will need to be elite in order to lead the Patriots Super Bowl title. This was interesting, and, and it's kind of something that's been popping around in my head since since the draft. But this team and, and what the Patriots have been building, and we've been talking about this now for like two years now, they're building what they had at the beginning of this dynasty, this 01 team. Now it's a throwback team. I don't know if it's going to work in the NFL anymore, but it's a run-heavy team with a good defense. They have a ton of chess pieces on defense that they can play with. Um, and then you get a quarterback in who does what Brady did, right? You know, and diagnoses things pre-snap and kind of goes from there. And then what happens is that, you know, that quarterback then needs to be elite to get you over the hump, right? It can get you to 10 and six or 10 and seven or 11 and six or what, you know, whatever it is with the 17 game schedule now, but like it can get you into the playoffs playing that type of thing, but you need that elite quarterback. If that team is going to then take that leap to get into and perhaps win the Super Bowl. And of course we don't know if Matt can do that, but I think it's set up perfectly for him to do that. And if he can reach that level, that is really where I think this team can really shine. That's for sure. Yeah, a- absolutely. And you talk about like his, you know, you guys were talking about like the fit before and everything like that. Certainly guys that don't have the physical tools can play up, you know, whether they're in the ideal circumstance or whether they were just better than we thought, you know, from the jump, you know, Breeze, uh, Brady, etc. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, speaking of that to like Jones, again, able to mitigate you know the, these different things that we talk about with him Brady people didn't think what he was going to do was possible whatsoever and by the way it's not like he has a howitzer uh you know even you know at right. you know you know whatever and as far as athleticism 
we, you know, we were right about that. You know, he was never very athletic, whatever it, but, but it was like, you know, you know, the, the, that side of the game that I'm talking about, about like, it's like, um, you know, like, whereas regular quarterbacks just sort of see it, like you would see it in Madden, you know, like, like seeing the screen like that. It's like some of these different guys can see the, I mean, for Brady, it's like, he's Neo. Like it's literally everything is binary. And it's like all these different numbers, like he, pr- through his vision field, it probably wouldn't look anything like we would think it would look like decisions would seem super obvious. People would be going slower, you know, et, et cetera. Um, and, and, and for Mac Jones, he's a guy that's capable of that. Right. Like, and, and the, the, the Patriots already have all that stuff baked in as far as like um, they've, you know, gone, too far with this a couple times but like finding the opponent's weaknesses in any way possible and it's like we're gonna exploit the fuck out of you guys with that mac jones is the guy you could do that with not because he's he's you know crazy more physical talented it's the shit of like mac's gonna find that guy real fast he's right right there and if i do this we're gonna have a matchup there right or you know if he happens to trail the other guy then i'm gonna know that they have switched into this thing that's where he beats you it's not during the play you know, I mean, you know, he does the right thing during the play, but, it, you know, it's not the, you know, crazy athleticism in the bazooka, but but it's this different stuff seeing this chessboard, you know, beforehand. And to me, to your point, that's what reminds me a lot of, you know, of of, of Brady in, in, in the Patriots way. And I also loved your point about, you know, the, the, the way the, the um, Patriots offensive roster is constructed, because I think that's super important. And it goes back to my point about the NCAA football thing. you got these different guys where it's like we got two tight ends. One of them's going to be the inline. One of them's going to be the big slot. And we can do these, you know, different things, move people around. You know, like you start to have, you know, it's both the thing of where you have the spread on the both sides. You can put the, you know, again, the 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 wide tight end on on the one side, whatever. You start to thin out the box, and so now you can see the defenders more, right? Because you got the three, but you got the big guy out in space too. So they have to do something about that, and then you start moving people around. Not only are the defenders in space beforehand, but you can start to see, okay, well they're they're in this coverage because that guy would not, you know, whatever he wouldn't move with them if it wasn't a man coverage, or he wouldn't stay if they weren't in you know, zone. And, and, and now you can cut it down in your head. There's only two things that that guy can do. There's only three that that guy can do. Well, I know the play they don't. And so like when he does the one step or the one step the other way, that's where, again, that's where Mac beats you. Is it again, do, do I think he's ever going to be a top five quarterback? No, but no one ever would have said that Todd Brady was going to be, it's, it's, it's following the exact right. same steps. Can Mac get as far as that, as far as like seeing the whole chessboard at all times, I don't know, but again, as far as like a pick that that follows the Patriots ethos, chef's kiss. Yeah, and and you talked a lot about the the pre snap stuff. I just want to get a little bit into post snap because one of the things that we've heard since draft day is how great he is on RPOs, and he he might not be the best you know reactor to things, but he's a great decision maker. And we've seen kind of New England transfer into the RPO game a little bit, but they're having Cam run the ball. Mac's not going to run the ball. Just what do you think that they can do to try to incorporate that into their game, the stuff that he did at Alabama? Because that was that's where their success came out of was that RPO game. Yeah, yeah, the point's really well taken. Yes, he is. He's really good at the decisions. He's going to make them very fast, and he's not, you know, even though it's 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 snap fast, he's not going to put the ball in harm's way, right? So it's, you know, again, going back to the pool shark thing, he's always playing the odds, and he knows where his limitations are as well. Very important. And, and as far as the RPO stuff, yes, that that's absolutely going to translate. Alabama did a lot of that, and they had the ridiculous athletes in space, so they could just go, you know, like opponents couldn't do anything about it or whatever. Uh, but, but with the Patriots, what, what's interesting is you might see 
Mac run a little bit more. Um, the one thing that surprised me about Mac was he actually tested a little bit better than I thought he was going better, to. He, better 40 than Patrick Mahomes. It turned out that he was a bit more athletic. And it now you can't blame me for saying that he's like a, you know, was a, like a lead footed statue as, you know, pocket passer at Alabama because they never had him run. In right. fact, right. I, you know, I was looking into to props before the national title game against Ohio State. I looked deep into him. Mac Jones had negative rushing yards in college over his career heading into that game. Now, now in college, they take away your sack yards, but still, like, you don't see that, you know, like, he, he does not want to come out of the pocket. And you saw even, like, during the Ohio State game, there was there was one play where he had, like, 10 yards in front of him, and, and he could have just he could have just walked to the first down, but he kept his eyes up. He's always doing that. So, um, one interesting so, – so you have that, and I like that, by the way, you know, that they, he'll throw it. But one thing to keep in mind with that is it's possible that he is a bit more, you know, I mean, we've seen that, that he is more athletic, but it's possible that we can see a, a bit better of a runner. Now, I'm not talking about anything crazy, um, but a guy that can steal yards, you know, both in the in the RPO, if, if like you're going to crash down because you don't think I'm going to leave the pocket, like, you know, I'll, I'll just run right around you, whatever. Like, I think you'll see a little bit more of that because I think a part of the thing at Alabama was, you know, and this came from Sarkeesian and Saban, but like we have so many awesome athletes that, that are going to be running downfield, especially if the play is extended a little bit. I think they drilled into Mac. We always want your effing eyes downfield. You know, do not take it beyond the line of screen. We always want you. And, and and I think it was something that was drilled into him so much that, again, even like he'll keep looking. If As long as he's got time, he will look for the opportunities. And he sees the field so well that, you know, he can generally, you know, at, at least is going to, you know, go over that away. He's going to make the right decision. I like that. So I know you just came out with your UDFA ranks. So somebody asked about, uh, you know, UDFAs. Patriots have like six. I think they have Seven eight after the, uh I thought, Seven after Jakob Johnson. Or I maybe thought eight. Reese said eight. So I think they have eight roster spots left. Um, anyone that you think they should target here? In, they got to uh, keep the streak in, alive. In they got to keep that streak region. alive. They have, I think it's 17 straight years. They've kept an undrafted free agent on the roster to start the season. Oh, so well, yeah. I mean, that's getting extended. Uh, do, do you guys know the kids they've signed? Because I actually like. I don't, think they've, signed, I don't think they've signed. I don't think they've signed anybody yet. No. They really? Anyone. No, yeah, no one. Which is so. weird, right? Really? It's like strange. you usually do it right after the draft. They have yeah. like five guys. Like last year oh, with Will Hastings and Jeff. They usually Thomas. have about they have about twenty spots open. Usually they only have whatever we said seven or eight this year. So yeah, I the the one thing that I was hmm. thinking was this is a very competitive roster. I mean, if if you whittle down the obvious cuts, there's still about sixty guys on the roster. So it, it's going to be tough to make the team. So maybe players just aren't interested in joining because I'm sure that they've looked into it, but. You know, like Pat said, who are some of the guys that you think would fit well and, and may have a shot at making well, so, that team? So I will say in advance, like, I don't know who is signed and who is not. Because, like, today was, like, my right. first sleep day of, like, two buds. So, I <laughs> like, I actually don't know, like, where the – I know a couple. Like, I know that Bushman, my boy, went to the Raiders. Um, but, like, you know, as far as the other ones, I don't know. Um, I, I did see that Marvin Wilson went to the Browns. I, I, I really like that signing. One Patriots guy, I'm sure this guy is signed already, but Kay Johnson from South Dakota yeah, State. Yeah, do you know? Do you know if he signed with anyone? He did. He, did. he signed with uh, uh, Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Yeah. They signed and, someone yeah. else too. They signed um, another wide receiver as well. They they drafted Eskridge. They've got DK and then a bunch of short, fast guys. That's their wide receiver room. Yeah, I, I think Johnson's going to hang around. He reminded me a lot of a, a Patriot dude, you know, just like the, the right. slot receiver who's not super duper explosive, but he's he he gets separation, runs routes well, and then he comes down with anything you throw to him. You know, he's just like a right. guy that kills you with paper cuts, you know, kind of a deal. So, um, Trill Williams, it, like I think any team t- should take a shot on him because his upside is higher than you know. That's the Michigan State corner, right? 
Syracuse. Or is that Kentucky? Syracuse. Yeah, the Syracuse kid, yeah. Yeah, Syracuse had a really weird defensive system where they were con- – like because you think about it, they had they had uh, Trill Williams, they had Melifonwu, and they had um, – Cisco. Cisco, that's right. So, so they had three dudes that were like legit, you know, guys that were going to like, you know, hang in the NFL or whatever. And yet last last season, you know, uh, Cisco got injured after like the third game. But like even before then, they would get shredded in the secondary a lot. And it like some of the stuff was just like, you know, Cisco would take like a lot of, sh- you know, chances or like he, he loved to try to jump balls or whatever. Uh, yeah. But the other thing is like they put him in uh, Syracuse had like really weird defensive um, habits, I guess I would say, like on offense, they they play super duper fast, whatever you know, go 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 go, and then on defense, they have like pre delineated uh, aggression, I guess I would say, and uh, depending on what the offense does, uh, you could put uh, DBs into islands real fast, you know that that they're not going to win at, they're going to look really bad, you know, on, on like a you know film or whatever. Uh, but Trill Williams is a guy that you know I was a little bit lower on him some, than some other people, but I was still stunned that he didn't go. Like I had him one hundred eight overall. Ones. I think it looks like he went to New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and New Orleans, they, you know, like over the past couple of years, they've only picked like, you know, th- their past couple of class was like three and four guys. I think, you know, th- this year they picked a few more, but like, that's a roster where like the, the lower part of it's not spoken for. So I, I think like, like I like that, you know, landing for him. I, I wish I knew some of the guys that weren't picked so that I could speak to it more specifically as far as like, yeah, it's, you know. it's a tough yeah, question. Yeah. 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 You know, as, as far as like who's even out there or whatever, because I'm sure everyone I'm going to toss out is like, you know, already been already been picked up. But that's um, the hard part, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, j- just a couple of the other guys. Sidarius Hutcherson, for sure, is a guy that I would have, uh, you know, taken a flyer on. Sidarius Hutcherson was not good enough, like in the past couple of years to get drafted. Just if, if you were look, if you drafted out of that vacuum. But the thing with him was he's he's a super duper athletic dude that comes forward very fast. Like he's got springy legs. And so the issue with him is like his technique sucks. You know, he's still like learning and stuff like that. But like, I thought that kid would get drafted just because of that sort of special sauce of getting on you quick. And then his ability to move around, you know, pull and like get out to the second level, stuff like that. Um, if I was any team, I, I would take a, a flyer on that. Like there were, there were teams that were taking fucking long snappers in the sixth round. And it's like, you're going to take a fucking Jeez, long man. snapper it's, instead of Trey Smith in, 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 in the sixth yeah. round. Like, yeah, you know, was... and it's like, Oh, you know, Trey Smith's his lungs, you know, like he's a risk. Okay. Yeah, motherfucker, in the second round or the third round, he is. But it's like in the sixth round, you're starting to take long stabbers, you're starting to take punters, kickers, like, you know, and and different guys that there's just about zero chance that they're going to make your roster. And, and, you know, some of these different guys that we're talking about, you know, are are very much on on that level as well. Teams are just torching their like late draft picks and it like fucking, you know, ticks me off because it's like. Yeah. So, so that's what I want. So, Trey Smith is a guy I wanted to talk to you about because before we wrap up, two, two teams. That I wanted to point out the one team you were very high on, one team you were very low on drafting wise, uh, Kansas City, number one, who who drafted my bay, my my guy, my like Nick Bolton. I just like I get like the I get like the like the hard eyes when I You've when I see Nick Bolton play. I, they have. I just nonstop. That's all I've been talking about is Nick Bolton. Uh, and he goes, Patriots he goes to KC. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, but they, again, get Trey Smith late. They got Creed Humphrey at the end of the se- second round. I thought they killed it. You gave them an A. Um, I thought they killed it. And then um, the other team was the Jets. And again, the Jets take Wilson number two, which I thought was crazy. I thought the trade up for Elijah Tucker was fine. But when you see Darisaw go 23, it's like, yikes. I love the Elijah Moore pick. Love the Elijah Moore pick. Um, but you know, you gave them a pretty, a pretty low grade as well. So just wanted uh, quick thoughts and the Jets drafted two Michael Carters, which is so bizarre. I mean, it's just such so a strange, funny. 
So they, they probably drafted the wrong guy first and had to <laughs> correct it later on. That, that was so epic. And the second one they took was the first one they took was Michael Carter, the first, and the second one they took right. was, was the second, Michael right? Carter, the the second. second. I was like, weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the, so the Jets fans are another fan base that is irate at me uh, today because I gave them a D. Um, That's okay. You're on a Patriots podcast, so that works. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> new fans. Uh, so I, I get. So I can start with the 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 Jets. Is that the one? Yeah, you, if you want. So Jets then? or yeah. Chiefs, either one. Yeah. So like you know, as far as the Jets goes, like you know, those guys were like, oh, you know, like you know, you know, we got three of your top twenty-five prospects, and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're saying it's a D. Well, first off, like I grade on a curve. Right. And so, like, you know, you don't see anyone else get around the industry that's grading with D's or F's or whatever. So, like, people get overly pissed off at me because I do. But even so, like, to me, I thought the Jets had, you know, because it's basically like I rank them up. I give out two two F's and then it's like I try to distribute like a, you know, fucking rainbow or whatever. And so, like, to me, the Jets had like, you know, one of the seven or eight worst uh, drafts of, you know, in, in the league. And people are, oh, well, how can you say that? Like your numbers said they got the second most talent in the NFL and they do. Um, the reason is, is because when you spend that much money, when you spend that much draft equity in this case, I expect you to come up with at least as much talent or close to it as the, those slots would suggest. If Zach Wilson's a superstar, they did. But if he's not, you know, right. I mean, like the whole thing is a disaster. It doesn't matter how good Vera Tucker is or how good, you know, Elijah Moore. Think back to the Darnold draft. Like, do you, does anyone consider that a success? You know, I, I don't know who they, they took after that, but that draft is a disaster because you took a guy, you know, at three overall that like, you know, wasn't good for you. And then you had to give away essentially. And so for, you know, in my evaluation of Zach Wilson, I think he is far riskier than other people think. And I don't think he's as close, you know, like I think his transition is going to be, you know, harder into the NFL and his game doesn't translate as well than I think people think. And so for me, like, I can't see into the future. I never claimed that I could like when, when, with these sorts of things where it's like, okay, if he goes bonanza, um, he could be the second or third best player in the draft. That's what I think about Wilson, like at the end of the day, but there's all these other outcomes out there where, where he's, you know, between an unmitigated, unmitigated bust or just like a, you know, a below average starter or whatever. And so because of that, like I have to bake that into my rankings. And so I put him 10 overall. Which, by the way, I thought was you know pretty strong for for Zach Wilson based on what I've seen. Seeing as though he has never shredded a good defense ever, ever. Right. In, in college, he didn't he didn't he didn't play well against one good defense, literally one. It it has not happened yet. So the first time he plays well against an NFL defense, could be like this is the first time he played well against a good defense. So like you know like I have to bake that in. I, I yeah. just do. So, 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 you know, as far as like the draft, you know, the, the return on investment is, is a big part of these grades. And for me, because the, you know, the Jets took the 10th best prospect at two, um, they suffer because of that. As far as the Elijah Vera Tucker trade, I loved your point. Uh, you know, like in with Vera Tucker, when you, you're coming in, you, you know, I, I think like it was like, you know, he, not only, you know, he, he was the best uh, interior offensive lineman. I didn't have Creed Humphrey, by the way, too far behind him, but, but he was, you know, the, the, the number one dude or whatever. Um, but like the, the way that the board fell, especially in hindsight, in the moment they gave up too much, I, I believe they gave up 370 uh, trade points to the Vikings to get 340 back, oh yeah, which is, you know, two thirds and got a fourth back. Like it was a lot. Yeah. And, I'm going by the Rich Hill one, which is like closer to right. like real life or whatever. But you know, any the Jimmy Johnson one, they probably paid a bigger premium. But either way, they they paid a heavy premium to move up. 
and then get their dude. But I think that they saw when they were doing their pre-draft calculations, it's pretty clear that they made a mistake because I think they thought if they didn't move up, there was no way they could get a quality offensive lineman back where they were or, you know, interior guy, whatever. And then they're thinking, you know, we're going to delineate our day two to, you know, our round two to like this, whatever. But like, like you mentioned, they move up with the Vikings. I'm a Vikings fan. I love that trade for the Vikings in the moment, except for the fact that they were passing on Christian Derrissaw, who most certainly was not going to make it to 23. Right. They take mean. they take Derrissaw. Mike <laughs> Mayock's like, nope, you're wrong, Thor. I'll pass him right on down to the Vikings. It takes takes Alex Leatherwood. The, the what a joke of a first round pick. Ugh. And then the Vikings end up getting Derrissaw. And then it's not only that; it's it's, it's what you're mentioning. Like the you know uh, offensive tackle three went probably you know. 10 slots, you know, nine slots later than we thought he was going to go. Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle four, he goes, you know, 20 slots later than, than we thought he was right. going to go. And it's not only that. For me, my second interior offensive lineman, but for, you know, even people that were a little bit lower, I don't think he dropped lower than like three on anyone's, you know, or four, Creed Humphrey. He ends up going at the end of the second route. And so it's like for the Jets, you basically just airmailed these, these day right. two picks that you didn't have to. Right. Like you might not have gotten Tucker, but like you could have just stayed put and take a dare. or you could have got a different position to just take a Creed Humphrey at any point in the second round. Like right. in hindsight, they very clearly made a mistake there. That is factored in, you know, into my grade. And then, like I said, the Wilson thing, but I, I agree with you. Elijah Moore was you know, fucking grand slam of a pick. Oh, There's right. no reason that he shouldn't have, that he should have gotten another first round. I agree. So how about the Chiefs? Because I, just just briefly here on the Chiefs, um, you know, you know, I love the Bolton pick, but then the two linemen. I mean, the big thing with the Chiefs was their offense stunk, and then they added Tooney, they traded for Orlando Brown, they drafted, like you said, probably the second best interior offensive lineman, and then they get Trey Smith in like the seventh round. I mean, it's like uh, they had they crushed it this offseason. They did. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 those guys are a machine of an organization. It's not just schematically on the field. It's, it's in their front office as well. It's all efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. The, the Orlando Brown thing was brilliant. You so rarely get to see um, smart teams take advantage of other smart teams um, problems, but that happened there. It was a very unique circumstance where Orlando Brown comes out and he's like, I'm a left tackle, not necessarily demanding a, a trade, but uh, you're going to have to facilitate that. Cause I play it. If, if you know, if I'm not in left tackle, it's, it's basically like, they had to get rid of him and the chiefs were like, okay, you know, we, we can help you with that. They, right. they make that trade, but even though, you know, Orlando Brown, like his import probably is, is that late first round pick. I don't think anyone would have batted an eye if that was just the trade, but the chiefs very crucially in that deal, got a second round pick back. I thought that was brilliant. And it became more brilliant after the fact because of what they did with the draft. You mentioned Bolton. I was, so I was lower on Bolton than some other folks. You know, I had him linebacker six, but even me being on the low end of him, I ranked him 63rd overall. They took him 58th. Almost everyone else was, you know, was at some some level higher. So like, no matter what metric you go by, that is at least good value. If not, you know, to some people, that's a steal. Creed Humphrey to everyone is a steal. That that was just a mistake. You know, like we talk about these different teams that make a mistake. The Green Bay Packers one pick before took Josh Myers. You watch Josh Myers against Creed Humphrey, do you think that Josh Myers is a better player? You're an idiot. The, the other thing is, it's not just that. It's like Creed Humphrey tested as one of the most athletic, you know, interior offensive linemen coming in right. ever. So it's like, you know, the, the Chiefs, you know, not only they're they're good, but they also put themselves in a position to be lucky as well. You you basically ended up, you know, for, for, for in, in an exchange for your first round pick you ended up getting both orlando brown and creed humphrey because you got the second round pick back in the deal 
that's fucking absurd, especially for a team that's already elite that only needs offensive line help. But it's but it's like we're not done, folks. It's like we're also going to give you Trey Smith for free because every other team's going to get freaked out by a lung issue. That, by the way, he hasn't missed a game for in two years. Last year, he decided to play when the COVID thing was going around. Like, if anyone was at risk for for the the COVID, it was Trey Smith. The guy weighs three hundred and thirty pounds, and he has this this you know this lung issue or whatever. He's like, no, I'm playing. Like, I, I have to play to show the NFL. He played the whole season. He played like a stud for for the NFL to like you know push him down to the seventh round or whatever. I, I, I don't understand that on upside yeah. alone on upside alone. It's like, you know, fourth or fifth, you know, l- let's say fifth, the, the fact that he gets down there, you know, just because of that, when, when, you know, again, teams are torching these picks or whatever, it's the chiefs got another steal there, you know, and in between those picks, you know, whatever, but, but those three picks, I, you know, and in particular, the two unmitigated steals. And when you consider the fact that they turn that first round pick into both Brown and Creed Humphrey, it's like, mind blowing their offensive line they just fixed it on the fly for very very cheap yeah it's such a well-run organization what they had to do it's exactly what they had to do and they did it it's crazy so so thor this has been a lot of fun man thank you so much for coming on appreciate it we've uh we got deep into the weeds with mac jones we loved it and uh and broke down a lot of a lot of picks here it was great so before we let you go though you gotta plug yourself tell everyone where they can see you and read you and hear you and everything else Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Thoraku, uh, T-H-O-R-K-U. And then you can find our uh, draft work at NBC Sports Edge. Uh, mine's on the college football NFL draft uh, section or whatever. And, uh, like, I, you know, if, if you want to check out, like, the UDFAs, if if the Patriots end up signing any, you know, in the coming <laughs> days, you know, there's some news. You, you can look up where I, you know, I have them ranked in my, my UDFA thing and then by position, whatever. Uh, and then in the next week, um, I'm hoping that the Patriots will sign. Bill, if you're listening, please sign a, a couple because I'm doing UDFA class rankings in the next week. And it's, it's going to really suck if i have to give the patriots Zero. an a i never i've never given out <laughs> one there's never been a team in, in my time doing this that hasn't signed a udfa patriots if you're listening to this you you must sign one at, at least, least one. If it, just give him a dollar signing bonus if he's out there right now i need you to have one so i can put you in my column i'll take the bullet bill just sign <laughs> yeah i don't know if you're in my rank he's off to reach Jack. i don't know if, if you can send over your got, tape i might uh, be able to make an amendment hunting highlights that you might be interested oh, in well so. I, hey, listen, I got an open spot on my board for a punter seven right tomorrow, now. Tomorrow, yeah. If you can tomorrow, speak, Spags and I are dropping a combine video tomorrow on Pat's pulpit. So Spags QB seven, wow, okay. put ourselves well, out there. So boys, you, you, know. you DM that to me. I will break it down like this is a Bruder <laughs> film, you know, frame All by right. frame. And then we'll All right. Sounds good. Like sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks to her again, and uh, we'll talk to you. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.